I'm Daniel Gowerluck, and this is On Earth. On Earth is brought to you by the Pacific Museum of Earth. In this podcast, we aim to show what it's like to be an Earth, ocean, or atmospheric scientist. There's a lot of diversity under that umbrella, and not all of our scientists wear lab coats. Today on Earth, we're talking to... Holly Beebe. Ollie, welcome to the podcast. Hello, Daniel. It's so exciting to be here. I usually only have to listen to this every Wednesday <laughs> to get the images ready. Now, you are the museum's media designer. Uh, what is a media designer? I've decided on this term at this moment for what to describe <laughs> what I do because I feel like I do everything all the time. <laughs> but um, for me, working at the PME, this is usually entailed I do graphic design, I've done exhibit design. Um, I've done some video production, some audio stuff. I feel like I do kind of jack of all trades when it comes to museum media stuff, but... You really are our Swiss Army intern. (laughs) Swiss Army intern. I like that. Yeah, I mean, Kirsten asked me to do anything. I'll probably (laughs) figure something out. Now, uh, what stage in your career are you at? Well, I'm currently working on my undergrad. I'm about to into my fourth and hopefully final, should be final, unless something terrible happens, a uh, year of my degree in media studies, which no one knows what that is, but that's okay. So you're fresh and, fresh and minty new. Fresh and new, but I have worked at museums since I was like 15. Um, I started as like a, a youth advisor for a museum in Seattle, where I'm from. So you've always had a passion for museums. Yeah, I, I mean, I got recommended to that job from my, my U.S. history teacher from high school, and then kind of have been doing museums ever since because I love both education, but then I also cannot ever decide like what my actual interests are and there's museums in everything. So that means I don't have to pick. So And what got you into media design? Well, when I I've always wanted to do something kind of art related, but I've never been much of like a typical visual arts person. I'm not like big into like painting or sculpting or anything. I've always loved like digital art and things like that. But I wanted to apply that more to a career, and I've also always loved film, and I've always loved all these different things. Um, And so that's how I ended up going towards media studies, UBC's media studies program being like 50% kind of hands-on work doing things. Like like we did classes in film studies, we did classes in design and such. And so, yeah, that's kind of how I got down that path. And which is your favorite class right now? Uh, well, see, my favorite classes, I thought when I got into the program that it was going to be all the hands-on ones that are like visual art stuff, but now I've been drawn in by the thrall of academia, and so my favorite classes, my my, my art history classes, or there's this one professor in the art history program, but like, I love her classes, and I've taken two of them at this point, and I'm like, oh, I wish I could be a professor, it's so cool. Anyway, but, so that's probably my favorite class right now. And which prof is that, in case anyone wants to... Yes, it's um, Dr. Monsoor, Dr. Jolly Monsoor. She is absolutely excellent. I love her. Wonderful. Now, um, with all the work that you've done for the PME, or even outside your work with the PME, uh, has there been a project that you're most proud of? You know, I think I'm really proud of how Hominin um, Hall, which I guess for anyone listening who hasn't been to the PME, is uh, kind of one of our more newer, uh, fully finished exhibits, and it's in... Um, what is the front building called, Daniel? I never remember. ESB, or Earth Sciences Building. Earth Ocean Sciences Main. If you're walking on Main Mall, envision yourself 
There's the walk through time, which is another new exhibit. Then there's the glass building. Inside the glass building, there's a new exhibit, which is about the history of human evolution and all of our kind of uh, ancient ancestors. And I have always, I mean, always wanted to do exhibit design. I always wanted to be an exhibit designer. It's like my dream since I was probably like, I don't know, like 15 and started in museums. And like, I feel like this is the, the exhibit that I finally got to like have this like hands-on role in deciding what it was going to look like and that so exciting to me and every time i see it i'm like wow i can't believe i'm making my childhood dreams come true at the age of only 21 um but i'm so excited about it i think it turned out great um and our other designer kit did such a wonderful job finishing up some of the parts that i had to move on to another exhibit too and it just it's just turned out so amazing they did such a great job as well so i think some of your online work has also been amazing um the video that you did where you uh, teach people how to draw the elasmosaur um, turned out wonderfully. I sent it, sent it to my mother and she uh, she raved about it. Oh, I'm so glad. And she wasn't just being polite because oh. she wouldn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm so glad. I was so happy. I recorded that in my grandparents' basement when we were when I was still in um, quarantine from coming up from the, from Seattle where I've been staying. Uh, and so I was like, okay, I gotta make something for work in the basement. And so I. I did that, and I, I thought it was so fun. I need to do more of those. I really love it. Absolutely. It was amazing. So glad, Daniel. I'm so glad you liked it. And now that's become, like, the official kind of design for Dorothy. Like, if you, like, look at the, the new little um, donation box, mm -hmm. she looks the same. I'm very pleased with that. Now, this is what you've worked on in the past. What are you working on right now? Oh, what are we working on right now? I say we, not because I refer to myself as we, but because it's a team now, which is so wonderful. Um, right now, we're finishing up the next exhibit, which is our mineral rainbow, which I'm so excited about. And you had influence on uh, the whole kind of rainbow plan. I think it's your idea, um, and I'm I'm really excited about how it's turning out. I'm working on some of the illustration for that right now, and I think it's looking really nice. And we finally have like kind of a, a bit of a team here at the BME of the work learning students. When I started here, there was pretty much just me, you, and Kirsten. And now we've got quite a few people, and it's been wonderful to see how people's work has come together to make this exhibit. I feel like it's turning out really lovely, and it's going to look so great. Absolutely. I don't think I came up with the idea, but I think I tweaked it and changed the direction of it. Well, I, I think you added in the kind of idea of having a cultural kind of aspect to it, which I really like, which I think ended up kind of informing it now. I don't know. But now I'm just rambling about the exhibit. <laughs> I don't know how much you know about how it's gone, but it's kind of taken this interesting self-reflexive view on museums and uh, and their role in, in society. And so that's been really fun and interesting to me because that's like one of my big interests. I'm excited to see what you all come up with. Um, yeah, I think we'll be done with it pretty soon. You're going at breakneck speed. So. I know, we're trying our best. I know Kirsten's like, all the exhibits will be done by the end of August. And I'm like, yeah, they'll definitely be done by the end of August, sure. And it looks like you're going to meet that deadline with oh, room to spare. That. I hope so, but we still have two more. To big ones to do. The climate one, the climate hallway, I guess I shouldn't just say the one on the podcast since people are following our projects, but we're working on an exhibit about climate change uh, and also an exhibit about the rock cycle. I'm amazed that you're going so fast. Usually museums are um, racing to finish uh, exhibits on the, the day of uh, their unveiling. I remember one museum I worked at, um, they were working on this brand new exhibit and they've been working on it for years. And I went to the unveiling and some friends said, hey, did you see that display on the other side of the room? And I was like, no, I missed it. Can you show me? And they said, no, we can't leave this wall. Um, the wall was still wet. And I remember the CEO of the museum uh, gave her 
address uh, to the whole audience and then just kind of started rambling. And it was because she was filling time, giving people time to finish painting. <laughs> gosh that that is hilarious but that, to me that's like very much how most museums yes. work i mean everyone's working so hard and trying to get things done and there's never enough time and never enough anything and but yeah it's so funny actually i was your age when that happened that reminds me of a museum i used to work at that had like a shop for doing all their own in-house stuff and it was always like last minute on trying to get stuff done for sure Now, in the podcast, one of my favorite things is hearing about field stories. Uh, your field is in the digital sphere, uh, but also around the museum. Uh, do you have any fun behind-the-scenes stories that you'd care to share? Sure. You see, I feel like I don't have that many interesting stories for people because most of my, my work these days involves like turning on and off my rulers on Illustrator. But um, at the museum, we just put up our new uh, signage for we've got this sandbox I guess that you can put your hands in and you can shape topography um kind of shows I guess like erosion and weathering over time to create like waterways and stuff is, would you say that's kind of yeah point? that's exactly it. so I had these new signs which I designed a while ago and they just went up and we put them up with this tape that's like like I don't know this tape could survive a nuclear blast it's like holding up super heavy stuff in other in other uh exhibits and so I assume this will be fine what's the name of the tape oh, alien tape <laughs> alien tape it's clear um which i assume is why it's called alien tape i don't know um but like okay so like uh the other designer at the museum kit they, they put up like this like heavy paper mache like depiction of a landslide i think with the alien tape in a case and it's like suspended and i'm like okay this will be fine we put it up and then i get a message from daniel on slack while i'm home uh about but that 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 the the poster has fallen off the wall, but not only has the poster fallen off the wall, it's in a video and, and it's been flung essentially across the wall and into kind of the next office area. And it fully looks like some kind of paranormal activity situation. I mean, the funny thing about this story though is that I feel like museums are full of objects failing all the time and, and materials kind of, you know, coming apart sometimes. So maybe that's on us, but I think we've got it with the command strips now. It won't get flung. I don't know. Absolutely. It, it um, does look like it's been flung, uh, but it's just because when it comes down, it hits the corner of the sandbox and bounces across the room. But... Is that what it was? Yeah. Oh, okay. I like watched the video multiple times and I was like, ooh, spooky. I wish we had a museum ghost. Oh, yeah. I feel like our museum is not very ghost-centric, though. Like some very old museums, like in, in Europe and stuff, I feel like are good ghost settings. But I feel like the, the first floor of the uh, Earth Sciences building is not very, not very spooky. But you know, yeah. It's amazing how often things fail in museums that the public doesn't catch. Uh, I remember one museum I worked in; it was known for having these really ornate and elaborate dioramas. And a visitor came up to me one day and said, "Wow, this is amazing! Like you've even got birds in here." And I was like, yeah, we've got lots of birds. And she was like, yeah, but flying around. Oh, no. And a bird had gotten into the museum. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, you know, I, I was taking this class at um, in the anthropology department, but it's this museum studies class at, at MOA, at uh, the Museum of Anthropology on campus as well, was kind of who was hosting this. And we had to have, like, a whole kind of two-day process about their integrated pest management system. And you would think that that's just referring to like things like carpet beetles and kind of bugs and stuff that can get in and cause problems. But there was like a whole section of the PowerPoint that was like, here are the problems that with birds 
because they've got you know outdoor exhibits and some birds will land on things and yeah exactly i think that that kind of stuff is can be a problem i think you've seen the footage of the squirrel that, that got into this museum too oh i forgot about the squirrel see every time i think about that story i think it's a raccoon which is so much more upsetting oh yeah i, I think a raccoon would do some real damage to the museum but they're also calmer they are calmer squirrels are very concerned I, it's the fact that we've got that breezeway, that, that, that the squirrels, I feel like it's outdoor, but also indoor. The yes. site of the future, uh, what is it called? Cathedral of the Underground. Right. Yes. I'm saying this to the podcast, but no one knows what that means, so. Hopefully a future exhibit. Exactly. Daniel, do you want to advertise your museum, your Cathedral of the Underground idea to the public? So it has to happen? We'll keep it uh, a surprise. Now, I'm curious, um, you're clearly passionate about museum work and graphic design. Why are either of those important? You know, I guess I'll speak to, I'll speak to graphic design first because that's kind of a quicker answer, which is that I think that both in order to make, you know, you can present content by which I mean, like, let's say information as like a, like a scientific paper, right? And that's, that's pretty dense. Only so many people who have kind of a background in that can, can read it and really understand it. But I think that good design allows for you to translate ideas that might otherwise be inaccessible uh, to a broader public and make it kind of fun and exciting in a way that it might not otherwise be. And that's part of the reason I love doing design specifically for museums. I, I've always loved doing kind of educational stuff. I, I used to do, I used to guest teach US history classes dressed up as American historical figures. Um, is one of my wilder escapades in my mm, public outreach and stuff like that. Um, And so I've always loved the idea of trying to make uh, topics that might otherwise feel dull or feel uh, kind of stuffy, more accessible through fun things like design or dressing up or whatever. Um, But I think the other thing about design that makes it important is kind of maybe feels very surface level, but people, especially more and more, won't kind of uh, won't enjoy something or won't buy something unless it, unless it looks nice, um, won't want to read something unless it appeals to them. And so I think people don't always realize the value of having really good design because it makes people want to learn and want to, want to interact. There's also a huge uh, danger of bad graphic design uh, conveying inaccurate information. Um, yeah, exactly. Or like it can be confusing or like there's a whole kind of uh, area of kind of graphic design uh, that's about you know making things more accessible having the right colors on different backgrounds you know there's all these different kind of requirements that people maybe don't necessarily realize um, but then when it comes to museums I mean I think it's so important that there are kind of fresh minds and fresh people working in museums and stuff they're institutions with such a you know complex and troubled history um, uh, but but also conserve communities so well by providing this kind of public education this especially um you know um not private museums but kind of public but if i can think of the word like nonprofit museums and public museums i guess uh can really you know serve their communities and provide that kind of like outreach and such but i think that it's really important to get kind of fresh faces and new voices um into the museums considering the kind of history that they've had and such. so i mean museums are the the idea and history of museums is kind of my main area of academic interest when it comes to things like art history. I study a lot of like 19th century stuff. And so kind of understanding that and how that gets us towards like, what are we even doing working in museums today uh, is kind of very much what interests me. So 
Sorry if it's rambly. No, no. And uh, you're, you've actually helped uh, the PME move away from just hiring geology students um, to hiring people with more diverse skill set uh, because you were just so amazing. And it was like night and day when you came in um, with our graphics and our, our design elements uh, that we decided we need people from other fields uh, to help us do what's easy for them, but might take us, you know, days or weeks to accomplish. See, Daniel's just flattering me in that. <laughs> but uh, no, no, but I, I think it's good. I mean, I also like, I mean, part of the reason that I was so excited to get this job and I really wanted to work here is um, when I applied for university, I applied 50-50 for marine biology um, degree and my media studies ones are also applied to a media studies thing somewhere else. And I've always loved science, specifically kind of natural sciences. So both stuff that we do in this department, but also like kind of the biological sciences and such. And I, I've always loved those, but I don't, I don't want to be doing kind of nitty gritty lab work or doing, you know, spending tons of time counting all the different kind of macro vertebrates on one slide or something. It's not really for me. I'd, let, I'd rather kind of translate that information to the public. And so I feel like making uh, science something that people can come to from a variety of backgrounds and not just something that you have to have had all this kind of training. I think people can apply other skills from other kind of experiences and backgrounds to the subject of science and it can really, you know, expand. You're the reason I've been banned from producing any more graphics and you and Kirsten like to make fun of me for doing everything in Word. <laughs> you know, I don't, I mean, half the reason I make fun of the Word thing is because I, I can never put images in Word. You know, like when I'm like, I just had a, I just had a paper published and I and when I <laughs> I was trying to put a photo into it to send it off and I could not figure it out it kind of kept on like nesting with the the text around it and I was like oh no it was I, maybe I'm just jealous maybe I'm just jealous of all your word skills I I don't know how to use it properly I can hardly like even bold my text so what was the paper on it's about um do you know the show Bridgerton. Well, yes. Of it. Yes. So yes. The, the, yes. the paper is about um, the role of active audiences in the reception of Bridgerton. So there was like a lot of YouTubers who made videos responding to Bridgerton and specifically how Bridgerton handled like the subject of race in Regency England. And I found it very interesting the way that audiences participated in a conversation after the show came out and therefore kind of like affected how the show was received on the whole. And so that's kind of what the paper is about. I don't know. That's kind of like one of the kinds of subject matters that would fall into what I would call media studies, which is, again, a term that like everyone I tell, I'm like, oh, I'm taking my degree in media studies. No one actually knows what that is. And so I guess kind of what people write about in the field gives you a little bit of a taste of what it is. I don't know. Now, you're clearly very passionate about your work. Uh, what's your favorite aspect or what really gets you jazzed? I, I love coming up with new ideas for stuff for stuff in the museum. I mean, especially exhibits. Um, that's probably kind of my, my biggest passion outside of doing, I mean, I love doing a little graphic design for stuff, but I love coming up with kind of concepts of, of how, how to make these different subject matters more fun. And I, I'm so excited about, you know, speaking of kind of wild stories, I think, do you know this, what happened with how we ended up with, we're gonna get those cases from IKB? No. Oh, well, I was, um, I was going for an evening walk. I enjoyed an evening walk on the UBC campus and I had to go print something. Um, so I had to go all the way to the library because the printer in my building was broken. Um, and so I went to the library and when I walked in, there were all these beautiful cases. They've got these wonderful clear like tall glass tops and these like nice white bottoms and I thought they'd be really nice. 
Um, but there's these signs on there, like cases for uh, like their for disposal, I guess. And I was like, no, I don't want them to throw them away. I want to get them for our tiny museum. So I, I messaged Kirsten. It's like eleven o'clock at night, which is always when Kirsten responds. And Kirsten's like, you should write them a note. So I run back to my apartment. I go and get a pencil and paper, and I write a note, and I like duct tape it to the to the case. And it's like, hi, my name is Ollie, and I'm from the Pacific Museum of Earth. Well, are you getting rid of these cases? Here's my email. Please reach out to me. Anyway, crazy thing is it ended up working. So we're getting these cases. And the long and short of it is that uh, that's going to be for the new Rock Cycle exhibit, which is going to be rock and roll themed. And oh, so nice. all of the different like exhibit text or like labels, I guess I'll say, are going to be like on little cassette tapes and then on the part where you write the, te- the text on there. It's going to have the name of the specimen. I think it'll be really fun. And have like kind of like old rock style posters, and I'm really excited about it. So it's gonna be called Rock and Roll, but it will be fun. I mean, so yeah. We should clarify: Kirsten is uh, the director of the museum, so yes, uh, our ultimate boss. The, yes, the ultimate boss, both in the highest ranking person and also in incredible qualities. But she also has an episode of the podcast, right? Yes. There we go. Yeah, listen to that. It's a good one. Now, of course, not everything is sunshine and roses. Um, what's the worst part of your work? Or the most challenging part of your work? I mean, the, I think the thing is that the the PME is such a small museum. It just feels constantly like there's, there's so much to do. We're never going to get all it done because we're doing this big um, uh, gallery re- rebrand or redesign, I guess I'll say, um, because things haven't been updated in like, I don't know, like 10 years? I think 10 years. Like 10 years. And it's kind of crazy how quickly things can feel outdated, especially. I mean, I think design and technology and stuff are moving so fast right now that things end up looking outdated pretty, pretty fast. Um, and so we're doing this big, this big kind of overhaul, I guess. And I think sometimes it can be intimidating how much I feel like kind of needs to be done, which is not, not, not a critique of the current situation, but just it, it can feel like a lot. But it's so nice to now have a team working on it. Because when I, was, I, when I was working pretty much all on my own, doing all the rebranding and stuff, I, I didn't have many people to bounce ideas off of. And I think it's been so helpful because I feel like we have even more fun and creative ideas now that there's kind of a bigger conversation happening about it. And it also just makes me so happy that all these people are like appreciating like the little, the, the museum is so close to my heart and so special to me. It feels like my little baby. And I'm so glad that other people are really enjoying like what I started and adding so much to it. Our little museum family is growing. <laughs> exactly. Our little museum family is in fact growing. I think that's great. Now I'm curious. Uh, do you identify as belong to any underrepresented communities? And if so, has that impacted your work or your studies in any way? Um, you know, that's an interesting question. So uh, I guess I guess I would say yes, because I'm both gay and I'm transgender. Um, but I've also come from a very, you know, privileged background. I'm able to go to UBC. I have access to a variety of resources um, and a variety of, kind of you know, aspects of my identity have made it so much easier. Um, for me, despite those things, but um, so I don't think they've caused me as many challenges as I think a lot of people who kind of have similar kind of intersection of identities have. Um, but at the same time, you know, uh, being trans and accessing medical care can be really, you know, exhausting and therefore kind of can take a lot of my energy away from doing the things that I enjoy and that I love for both my work and my studies and stuff. And I think that a lot of people don't realize all the kind of little hoops that people have to jump through that are happening kind of alongside maybe all the other stressors in, in life that, 
that, that other people, that people who don't have those experiences uh, are, are facing. But even even more than that, I I have been so fortunate. But I mean, I'm from the U.S. and you know, trans rights are very much under attack there right now, and it's it's really upsetting to watch. And you know, it's, it's something that's hard. You know, that people really need to get involved with. I think and, and be more aware of too. I mean, we're not in the U.S., but uh, we're we're neighbors. You know, and there, but for the grace of God, go go we. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you've had a positive experience. Um, I dread interacting with the healthcare system, even as a, a cisgender man. Um, it's a pain. I can't even imagine what it's like as a trans person. Um, it's a lot. I mean, it's a lot. I mean, I feel very lucky. It's a lot better here in Canada, um, especially because healthcare and such is, is quite nice. It's quite nice. So that, that's a lot better. But uh, I'm curious, do you feel like museums are an open and welcoming uh, community or are they more closed off and insular? I feel like that's a very hard question when it comes to museums. I mean, my experience with museums is that I feel like I have been able to have these great opportunities getting involved um, with these different communities. So I started at the Museum of History and Industry in Seattle for me, in their youth advisorship program. Um, and I felt like that was a really great way to get all sorts of kind of different young people. It was people from ages, I think, like 14 to 18 involved in the museum community. And it's really nice to see museums doing that kind of outreach. I see that. Uh, places like the Museum of Anthropology as well, um, since I started doing some work there as well recently. Um, so I feel like museums are trying to reach out to their communities, but museums have historically, and I think so many continue to not be um, very welcoming or having a, a very much like homogenous um, kind of leadership, very kind of you know white and old and male uh, kind of leadership of museums, which I mean, that goes back forever in museums and in a lot of industries, but. Museums have a complicated history, which I guess I won't delve into here, but you can read up on it, I guess. Um, and so I think for a lot of people, they're definitely not the most welcoming spaces, but I think that people are making you know real efforts to try and change that, which I really admire. Yeah, I often find that um, museums are open and welcoming, but also insular. Uh, once you're in, you're family. Yeah, that's also true. I feel very lucky that I got to kind of get into museums so early, and now I can, you know, like when I have on my resume, I can say, oh, I did this museum, that I was in this, like, archaeology department and things like this, uh, or uh, program, I guess, and all these things, and so I have all these experiences that I can build towards it, but I think museums can be really hard to enter without a lot of, you know, background experience getting in or getting a foot in the door. And I find that a lot of people uh, kind of stall at the entry level, um, which can be really tough and demoralizing. Yeah, I can imagine. And so it's nice to see that some museums are trying to like do more. Like at least the museums at UBC have like nice through the work learn program, um, providing people that kind of like entryable experience. So that presumably after people graduate, they can kind of work their way up further and make connections. What about media studies? It's a fairly young field, if I'm not mistaken. Is it open and welcoming or? You know, media studies is a very, a very young field. And so I think people are able to come at it from a variety of directions still. And I think that the field hasn't fully coalesced into kind of a dominant, I think people can come at it with a lot of different perspectives still and introduce a lot of new ideas because it's still not super defined exactly what it is. Um, I, I feel like I need to define what media studies is because I've been alluding to it. I would say media studies is like the study of how the audiences interact with the media that they consume and it proposes the opposite idea that instead of, or opposite to the idea of communication, which is like a one-way street, you know, people make content and people receive it. On the other hand, 
media studies is to me very much influenced by the idea that audiences you know give back and and inform the media that they consume seems like one of the fundamental kind of tenets of that area of study now i'm just rambling about it no. but anyway i think people can still come at it with a lot of kind of fresh perspectives like i had a professor who is really into what he called environmental media studies um and so he like wrote papers about like how do we understand like fungi like fungi as media he got his um his undergraduate degree in um in uh, like in biology or, or environmental sciences or something and then went into media studies which i think is so interesting so my point is that anyway i think it's welcoming because there's a lot of you know ways you can approach it still uh now one thing that we've all had to deal with the past two years has been covid um and the pandemic you alluded to working in your grandparents basement uh how you've been impacted by the pandemic so people who are kind of in my year or years around me at school, I think, have had kind of an unusual university experience. I mean, I spent two years of it basically at home or kind of not actually physically at school. And I feel lucky it wasn't too bad for me in terms of kind of keeping up with classes and stuff. But I think that's been a huge challenge for a lot of people. Um, and I'm so glad to actually be back in person um, for doing classes and such. But it definitely changed my university experience, but when it comes to working at the museum, I actually think it was a nice way to start because I was able to really dig into the, the rebranding stuff because I didn't have to worry about any of the actual physical space. So kind of redesigning what we want the we want the aesthetic of the museum to be um, was a lot easier from home. So, you know, I started with doing the logo project as my very first thing, and then it's built out from there. Your first two years at the museum, uh, you hadn't even met Kirsten, your boss. Um... We just hired you because you'd been a volunteer and we knew you were great. Yeah, I um, yeah, I hadn't met Kirsten in person until like this fall, which is kind of crazy. But yes, it was nice to, um, in, in retrospect, it was nice to settle on what the aesthetic would be before we did the uh, redesign of the space. Yeah, because I think if we had done that while we were trying to do, you know, things had changed even in the course of since we first kind of picked the redesign look to now, I just did a new branding guide for us, and it put, the first one says 2020, and the one I just made is 2022, and I'm like, ah, I can't believe I've been at the museum for like two years, that's crazy. But, yeah, anyway. Now, if anyone's listening to this and wants to follow in your footsteps and go into museum design, uh, what advice would you have for them? Uh, yeah, I think that's a really great question. I mean, I think that, I mean, as I've alluded to throughout this conversation, I think a lot of museums, luckily, are starting to have these kind of programs to help young people get involved. As I said, I was part of like this youth advisorship, and I see those at a variety of museums, including in Vancouver. And I think those are really great places to start because, I mean, obviously to do kind of museum design, you need to kind of build up a background in design and get, get those skills. But as we talked about earlier, I think in order to kind of get a foot in the door at museums, you need to start kind of involving yourselves in their, in their community and start kind of making connections. And so I think that that's kind of almost equally as important as building up those kind of traditional design skills, I guess I'll say. Yeah. It took me a lot, a lot longer than you to realize the importance of making connections and uh, the informal relationships that you have with other uh, museum professionals. Yeah, it's definitely like a, a community where I feel like people draw on each other or know each other and then suggest people for, for roles and, and, and things, at least in my experience. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think kind of getting, getting a foot in the door is important. But honestly, actually having design skills is good too. But to be fair, this is, this is, this is, this is I was going to say secret information, but it's for the podcast. So it's not secret information. Also, I've told Kirsten, but when I applied for the job, I definitely did say that I knew how to use Illustrator, the main design 
uh, kind of application people use. I definitely had used it like once before, and so I totally learned how to use it while doing the logo design project. So my point with this story is that uh, that I think that people uh, don't underestimate your skills, and you know, go for things because you know you'll be able to do it, uh, even if you know that there's going to be maybe be a learning curve. Don't sell yourself short. I I am so glad that I <laughs> I maybe overpromised a little bit. Well, you've certainly come through. Thank you. And, Thank you. Uh, I've tried very hard. Illustrator is the bane of my existence. That's why I do all my graphic design in Word. This is a Word advertisement for doing. You know, I, I wish I could. I wish I could figure out how to embed photos in Word, and it's never worked well for me. Microsoft is sponsoring the podcast now. I guess. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> if Microsoft wanted to, then that would be nice. Get some good, good Microsoft money. Now, um, what was the most important course that you took, uh, or you've taken in your studies? Oh, that's such an interesting question because I feel like the, you know, the practical skill classes I've taken have been really useful. I really enjoyed one of the visual arts courses I took last term, which was kind of in digital media art. Um, but honestly, I feel like the classes like my art history courses, I'm actually minoring in art history as well, um, have helped a lot as well because I feel like with my design and all my projects and even my independent creative projects, I kind of need inspiration to build from and I find that when I only take classes that teach me like the actual hands-on skills I still don't have that kind of inspiration as I said earlier coming up with the concepts for exhibits is actually my favorite thing to do um, and I feel like taking the classes that really excite me like things about I don't know visual culture in the 19th century actually probably helped me more in my in my work than, than I think people would expect um, and Honestly, those have been some of my favorite, and I feel like when I'm inspired, I do my best work, so. And um, speaking of inspiration, has anyone inspired you? You mentioned that one prof, uh, but has anyone else inspired you? All sorts of people inspire me. You and Christian inspire me. <laughs> uh, but I, you know, honestly, I'm meeting all sorts of cool people in the, in the museum industry. I meet people, like, every day, every week that inspire me. Like, we went on that tour at MOA with the Mara. And I think she's incredible and is doing such great work. Um, I meet, you know, I'm sorry, I've, I've sent a person and I didn't describe who they were, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, but that's kind of the point. I meet people every day who I think are so incredible who, who, who work in this industry. I'm working on that project. Um, I'm working on a project, uh, right, helping write a graduate course teaching science students, um, graduate science students about doing science communication and outreach, specifically in informal learning settings, which kind of means museums. And so I found the opportunity to meet with people from museums all over Vancouver, uh, people from Science World, people from MOA, people from the BD, and everyone had just such interesting stories and such interesting backgrounds that I, I like, feel like I can't help but be inspired all the time. But yeah. Wonderful. I'm glad you have a, a deep well of inspiration. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> you deserve it. <laughs> thank you. I try. I mean, there's so many great people and UBC is also just such a great community. Like I feel like I all sorts of great people. Now, you're just starting your career right now, and uh, hopefully you'll have a long career in, in museums um, and media design. Uh, but what would you like to have as your, your legacy when you retire? That's such a terrifying question, Daniel, because I'm a, a child. Um, but I, you know, I, I'd like to help, I mean, on the museum front, if I can continue in museums with the kind of going forward in my career. I'd like to in some way contribute to kind of this reevaluation of what museums kind of are doing in our society and like what their role is. And I, I, I've seen so many 
incredible people work on that subject, and I would love to be able to contribute to that in some way of kind of these, these new conversations about what museums are um, is really important to me. But I'd also love, you know, to, to get my, to, to, to make my mark on, kind of, you know, exhibit design and get to make some things that really excite the public. And, um, you know, I think the great thing about museums and specifically really good exhibit design is like, I feel like we all have memories of being kids or teenagers and going to a museum and seeing uh, an exhibit that was just so exciting and like really spoke to you. It was so fun. I saw this incredible exhibit at, I think it's called the Brooklyn Museum of Arts or something like that. Uh, on the life and, and legacy of David Bowie. And I thought it was the most incredible exhibit I've ever seen. So beautiful. It, it just totally encapsulated his career in a visual aesthetic for a, for a museum. And I loved it. And I would love to be able to kind of create things that uh, inspire the public and kind of capture stories as well as that someday. Uh, I think you're joining the field at a very interesting time. I'm always curious how much the general public knows about uh, the seismic change that's uh, coming to museums right now uh, as they start to deal with their colonialist past and present um, and also just some of the problematic uh, natures inherent with museums, but also trying to be uh, more inclusive in the future. Exactly. I mean, we're currently in this like huge period of overhaul and change and questioning at museums, which I think a lot of people can find kind of, you know, intimidating, but I think I find really exciting. I think it's really exciting that I get this kind of moment to really redecide what these institutions are doing for us and for our communities, um, you know, instead of necessarily for themselves and such. I think it's, I, I'm looking forward to see what happens in museums in the next few years. Well, that's actually my next question. Uh, where do you see museums going in the future? Uh, you know, that's, hard. That, that's definitely a hard question. I'm, I'm definitely not the only person who should who should speak to that, but... Oh, and also, sorry, what advice do you have for young people who are getting into the field uh, to anticipate some of those changes? I think kind of what I would, I mean, for advice for young people, I would say, you know, listen to all the voices that are happening kind of in these conversations. There are some incredible people, like, kind of giving their thoughts on the kind of process of addressing the colonial history of museums. There's, I mean... Here in Vancouver, in the kind of museum community, I see all sorts of incredible, um, you know, indigenous professionals and scholars speaking on the subject matter, and I think it's really inspiring um, and important. So I feel like like listening is probably the greatest skill, and also you know familiarizing yourself with kind of, of the history that's kind of being brought up in this conversation. I mean, as I said, that's kind of my area of interest when it comes to things like art history. Even that's how I approach my media studies. Is kind of redirecting my degree to be about kind of museum history in a way. Um, and, and visual culture of the period they, you know, developed in. Um, so I think that those have, have served me well, at least in kind of approaching these kind of conversations. But in terms of where museums are going, I don't necessarily know on that front because I feel like there is still so much to assess about, you know, can, can museums fully reckon with that history and still kind of find a place for themselves in the future? But I think museums are I, I really interested in the kind of digital turn of museums as well, especially that's been kind of inaugurated and catalyzed during the pandemic of museums doing more outreach online, doing lots of videos on YouTube and such. And I'm very interested by what the future will hold with museums entering the digital sphere as well, as these kind of like public education institutions and, and how that will work in the digital space is something very interesting to me as well. So, the digital aspect of museums uh, for a long time was very clunky and very um, 
ineffective, I found. Uh, but since the pandemic, since it was all we had in many cases, uh, they've really tightened up their game and improved. And it just occurred to me that your uh, media studies um, background, you're treating museums almost like media. Um, and so you basically are doing museum studies, but not so narrowly that you're just looking at museums, you're looking at the broader world as well, which I think is so much more useful than uh, just museum studies. Um, yeah, that's definitely how I've kind of found myself approaching it. I mean, as I've alluded to, to me, museums are one of the many kind of products of, of visual culture in the, in the 19th century, kind of where, where they started to emerge, or even in the 18th century, I guess, too, with the cabinets of curiosity and such. Um, I feel like uh, that's kind of, they are just one of the many products of that from, I would include, you know, the development of photography in the same category almost. And so I think that museums have their own medium specificities and things that inform kind of how they work even to today. And I, that's definitely how I've at least approached it academically. And I, I like to think about that a lot in my career as well. Wonderful. Well, Ollie, uh, those are all the questions I have for you for today. Is there anything I missed or anything you want to add before we let you go? I don't think so. I think that was, that was great. Thank you so much for having me, Daniel. It's so exciting. Thank you. Thanks for sharing your stories and your unique perspective on a field that I hold dear to my heart. Uh, and thanks also just for all the great work that you do. Thank you so much, Daniel. It's so exciting to be on the other side of, or not that I'm ever on your side of the mic, but I'm on my side of the computer making the Instagram posts for the week. So now I'm going to have to listen to my own. Oh, but the, the museum is bigger and stronger because of you. Thanks. Oh, thank you, Daniel. That's so sweet. <laughs> Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to On Earth. On Earth is hosted by me and produced by myself, Kirsten Hodge, our editor Mel Woods, and Ollie Beebe designed our logo. On Earth is made possible thanks to the generous support of the Canadian Geological Foundation. For more episodes like this one, please visit our website at pme.ubc.ca slash learn slash podcast or listen on Spotify Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next week, here on Earth.